0: And start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. Welcome to this special episode of Insights. I'm Daniel Williams. COVID 19, commonly referred to as the coronavirus, is dominating our personal and work lives, and healthcare professionals are at the forefront of this crisis. That's why the Insights team is speaking with experts across the healthcare spectrum to bring you practical information for you and your practice. We'll try to stick to our usual release schedule, but look for these episodes as the situation develops. You can also keep up with the latest by visiting the MGMA COVID-19 Action Center at mgma.com COVID. Now joining us to discuss this topic is Dr. Phil Boucher, a pediatrician and former guest of the Insights podcast. Phil, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: You are so welcome. I'm so glad to get to talk about this because there's so much confusion out there, and um, I think that especially in smaller practices or in the outpatient setting, there hasn't been a ton of guidance from anybody on how to deal with coronavirus. We're kind of making it up as we go and trying to figure this out.
0: Exactly. So let's just go straight to that. What do we What do we know about the virus at this point? And you and I were just talking offline that it is changing not only daily, but hourly, and even by
1: the minute, there's
0: new announcements being made. So just bring us up to date about what we know at this point.
1: At this point, we know that it's spreading everywhere, that this WHO just declared it a pandemic yesterday. And what that means is um, we're going to see more and more cases in the United States. It's going to continue to rise in the coming days, weeks and months. Um, The virus seems to most affect the elderly and those with chronic medical conditions. And so we know that those people are more predisposed to have serious illness or fatality from it. And um, we know there's a lot of uh, worry and anxiety amongst our patients. And I think that's the biggest thing that medical offices are facing right now is trying to help to um, bring peace in this time of hysteria, this time of um, basketball courts being emptied immediately of players, of toilet paper being off the shelves for weeks for the $50 hand sanitizer on Amazon, those sort of things. Um, we're just trying to combat that and trying to provide good information for our, our patients and, and provide good care at the same time.
0: Yeah, and fear is something we're gonna get into a little bit deeper here in a moment. But um, let's talk about just the noise, the amplification of noise through social media right now. There's so much misinformation going out there. So where are you getting your information? Where do you advise other healthcare professionals get their information so they can relay that to their patients as well?
1: Right. I mean, I think like politics, everything is local. And so the first place that I turn and try and get information from is our local health department, um, our county health department and our state health department, because that has really the boots on the ground information that I need to know and we're getting new health advisories daily or sometimes more than once per day about here's how to um, best treat, here's what's going on in the community, here's how you should go about deciding who to test and algorithms and everything like that. So I would start locally and see what your local good resources are available because that's really what's going to determine, can I get a test done? Can I send them to the hospital or health department or wherever to get the test run? Um, Are the hospitals overrun with patients? Am I going to be able to get a bed if I have a sick patient? I would start with those local resources. And then I think you can look at the national um, bodies like the CDC, um, the Health Department, uh, the National Health and Human Services um, for additional guidance about what's going on around the country and what measures are being taken for our patients. A lot of our patients have, have big questions about, you know, can I travel? do i need to isolate my family do i need to pull my kids out of school do i need to telecommute for work and those are good questions that both the the local and the federal level can help to kind of wade through that information those are the main resources that i am, have turned to and then talking you know with boots on the ground physicians that i know that are in the midst of this as well so i'm on some pediatric listservs there's plenty of facebook groups and twitter those are all places where you can at least see and Hear from what other people that that are in the thick of it are doing as well. Yeah,
0: and on a personal level, you're a pediatrician at Lincoln Pediatric right. Group in Lincoln, Nebraska. Give us an idea of the size and scope of the practice.
1: So, at our group, we have 12 pediatricians and then um, about six nurse practitioners and physician assistants. So, there's about there's just a little less than 20 um, providers. We're all at a single site, and um, so we have about 35, 36 exam rooms running on any given moment. Um, and so that's kind of the size of our practice. W- with that, we have something like 15,000 patients uh, in the community, and we're one of the larger groups in the community. Um, so we take care of probably 30 to 40% of our, our city's children.
0: Yeah, you deal with seasonal flu every year, but what what's different about COVID-19? What's going
1: on with this particular strand? Right. So with COVID-19, the things that are different are one, there's really no nobody that's immune to it um, because it's a brand new virus. It's just come out of China in the past months. And so people don't, there, there isn't a portion of the population that's immune to it. Um, and unlike influenza, there's no vaccine to help prevent the spread of it. So the vast majority of people that are exposed to coronavirus will have symptoms. Now. Most will have mild symptoms, more than 80% are expected to have mild illness, just like any other cold or respiratory virus. Um, and so it's more, everyone's gonna probably see coronavirus at some point in the next six months. Um, but can we protect those that are um, elderly, those that have chronic medical conditions from it? And can we spread out the illness um, severity? So. the the measures that we've been talking about locally and at the national level are going to hopefully help to prevent the super acceleration of coronavirus that they've seen in Italy and other countries where they just don't have hospital beds or ventilators to take care of the population. If we can spread out the duration of the illness, over six months rather than six weeks, um, where, where some people are getting it early, some people are getting it in the middle of the season, and some people are getting it later, then that will allow our healthcare system to keep up with the demand and the additional burden placed on it.
0: Is there another virus that we can even compare it to at this point? Is it just a standalone? What, what is it about this particular strand?
1: So there's nothing really specific about this particular strand, except that nobody's immune to it and nobody's seen it before. So it's like um, pandemic flu before the flu vaccine. It affects a large portion of the population because it hasn't been seen. There isn't the natural immunity to it that other people have. And so, um, but, but at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's a cold virus. We see coronaviruses all the time um, and continue on our daily lives because um, for the most, for people that get them, it's just a cold virus. So there's other strains, not the COVID-19, but other strains of coronavirus that we see each year. And we don't even know it because we just say, well, this is a cold virus, um, you know, take your cold from cold medicine and symptomatic treatment and and keep going. And um, so there's nothing e- exceedingly pathogenic about coronavirus. It's not Ebola or something along those lines, but it's something that we just haven't seen before. So everyone, um, susceptible to it
0: right now your patients or children as a, a pediatrician w- right what do we know about their resistance or their anything else related to them how are they handling it
1: right so there's been a lot of news in the past two weeks that that children aren't having a severe of disease of course i'm not even sure you know when they were doing statistics on it last week there hadn't been any children that had Um, died from coronavirus, Um, certainly some that are ill, and especially if they have other chronic medical illnesses. But a lot of children seem to be quite resistant, not resistant necessarily to it, but not as susceptible to severe disease. It's not clear why, like I said, there are a lot of other coronaviruses going around just seasonally each year. And so the likelihood is that since kids get cold viruses more frequently and are exposed to more germs, that they've just seen similar viruses enough that they might mount some, you know, a partial immune response to it, um, or there's enough overlap that, that they have some natural immunity to coronaviruses in general. Um, and, and they just experience a lot of germs and cold viruses yeah. every year, so they get their exactly. fair share of them. And as adults, we don't get as many illnesses, we don't get as exposed to as many germs, and, and our immunity starts to wane over the years.
0: Right. And and just it's one of those things where we want to make sure we're factual with the information. They're not immune right. though, right? Is that correct? Right,
1: right. Kids will still experience it. The, you know, the vast majority of kids will still get coronavirus if they're going to get it. They're not just naturally immune to it, but they're healthier and they've seen similar viruses recently enough that they're likely to just have a less severe course. Okay.
0: Now, in a previous podcast episode, you told us about your wave schedule of seeing sick patients, seeing well patients. So what are you currently putting in place to keep those well patients well?
1: Oh my gosh, that's like been our biggest challenges. We have to continue seeing patients. I mean, we're coming up on school physical season, which is our busiest time of year. And we have to serve our patients and we have to protect our own financial well-being of our practice while protecting our patients, which is a much more important issue. So Balancing those things has been something that is evolving over time. We try and get patients back to back to their ro- the room quickly so that kids aren't sitting in the waiting room for a prolonged period of time. Waiting rooms get a bad rap um, because people sit there and they see everyone with the coughs and colds and everything like that. For the vast majority of patients, though, they spend a lot more time at Target, school, church, um, out in the community where they're getting exposed to a lot more viruses and things like that. So I try and bring down the waiting room. Um, anxiety and worry Um, but we do try and get them back from the the waiting room as quickly as we can if it's a non-urgent thing that they're coming in for we may um, need to start pushing them back and pushing them their appointment back a few weeks down the road and saying okay this is a non-urgent issue let's get you by for a couple more weeks and then we can see you once things calm down once this um, once this coronavirus season has declared itself and we know what to expect. So in the meantime, let's let's see you uh, a couple weeks from now. The other thing that we're starting to do, which I've been working on this week quite a bit, is telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Can we um, avoid bringing sick patients that aren't um, needing hands-on into the office? Can we use that for parents that are worried that really just want their pediatrician to lay eyes on their kid and tell them it's okay and that they're breathing comfortably and they're they're Hydrated? Can we use telemedicine for those things? And there's plenty of opportunity to to use telemedicine to avoid bringing kids into the office that don't need to, not just sick kids. So we can use that for like um, a a time that I could see it being useful, be med checks. So we do med checks for kids with ADHD, depression, anxiety. Some of them are very stable, and insurance just requires us to have them into the office on a regular basis can we do those visits as a telemedicine visit where the child doesn't have to come in catch the germs in the office miss out on a bunch of school instead convert that into a telemedicine visit and the nice thing is that insurance companies and cms have said okay we probably need to embrace telemedicine to try and you know prevent the spread in the in the office setting let's do a better job of reimbursing for that so we've had lots of Bulletins this week that that telemedicine is being covered much more quickly and much more um, reasonably than it had been because people are seeing telemedicine is a great way to continue that primary care relationship without having to bring patients into the office necessarily.
0: Yeah, tell us about that communication with the patients. What, how are you communicating with them? Is it through email right. blast? Is it a, a a phone bank? What what's
1: going on there? Right. So I think that is an extremely important thing is to communicate with patients because they want to know from their doctor what's going on and what they should do and what they need to know. And so the ways that I've done that, one is posting on social media a lot. I created a YouTube series that I've been doing um, for the past two weeks now. Um, and I just recorded another episode before we started talking on coronavirus and updates, and that provides information for my patients, um, our practices, patients, and then just parents in general. Anybody can see, you know, the, that content and learn from it and share it. Um, so that has been really helpful as a way for me to get out information, and I, and I think the the feedback that I've got is it helps bring down the calm when you have the voice that's hopefully reasonable and rational, providing good coronavirus-related information that's timely and that answers those questions. Today, we the the one that I recorded that I'll post later today on my YouTube channel was about social distancing and and. How do we distance ourselves from others, and what are and what are good measures to take, and what's overkill, or what should we try and do? You know, parents want to know about school, daycare, football practice, soccer games, birthday parties, travel, grocery store, and those are all things that that people want to know that information about. So if we can provide that in a convenient format that shows up on their phone um, or wherever they're you know spend their time, then they're going to latch onto that information and 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 have that rather than what they see um, in the newspaper, or that what they read online, or the horror stories that that get just spread um, because they, they make good news, um, all of those sort of things. So if we can be present for our patients in whatever medium they like, that, that will allow us to reach them even when they're not in the office.
0: Yeah, and that gets to that fear factor that you were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Let's talk about it from both the staff side of it and the patient side of it so first let's let's talk about how you're coaching and leading your team there how do you kind of calm those fears or there are certain protocols that you guys are putting in place to make sure your staff feels comfortable feels confident about how they're handling their day to day and their work with the patients
1: right that's a huge issue and a special challenge for us because our staff wanna serve our patients and they love that and do that so willingly, but they have to protect themselves. They have to protect their family. And if our staff all get sick, then we're not gonna be able to continue to care for patients if they're all homesick or they're quarantined. So what we've tried to do is really be intentional about including them in the planning and the communications about how we're dealing with this. So we're, we're, we're talking about you know, what do we do on the phones if somebody calls and they say, I think I have coronavirus. Well, that's gonna go to our triage and then our triage can help to decide, do you need to come into the office? Can you stay at home? Do you need to go to the emergency department? Can we have you swing by, and we'll um, have one of our staff come swab you for the flu? And if you in the parking lot, and if you have the flu, then we'll have you come in, and we can do the assessment. But if you don't, and we're worried that you were exposed to coronavirus, what are the next steps? And that's an evolving thing that we've been working with the health department and um, local um, resources and authorities to try and figure out what's the best approach, because we want to obviously care for our patients. We can't send everyone to the emergency department and we don't want to do that, but we have to figure out how to balance the needs of our patients with the needs of our staff and protect everyone so making sure that we're really getting good hand hygiene and uh, like I just had another Purell station show up outside my door <laughs> that I didn't have before and I'm like oh yeah. this is fantastic because now I could just you know Purell even more often than I already do mm-hmm. um, making sure that we have masks and gowns and figuring out how to get those N95 respirators fitted because We've never had the occasion to do it before. So working with local community resources to, to ask for that extra help so that everybody can be on the same page and everybody can feel confident that they're, they're being protected. And our staff just go above and beyond and are willing to just get in there and take good care of patients and supporting them and encouraging them and um, doing things to help make them feel valued is so important too. We've had um, in, in our back conference room, Ms. I don't know what the plural of massage right. therapists are, um, doing massages and things like that and, and bringing in lunch and other things that we can do to just say thank you for giving of yourself, of your time, uh, putting your own health at risk to as hope uh, we can minimize that risk as much as possible, but you are putting yourself at risk and we appreciate that, our patients appreciate that and showing that appreciation. It's so easy to just get swept up in the hysteria it's so easy to get swept up in, why aren't people doing more? But, but if you can show them gratitude and if you can lead from the heart and help them, um, then we'll, we'll talk through it. I think communication, that was really long-winded. I think communication is the most important thing because our staff want to know what's going on. They want to know what we're doing and what we're going to do if we start seeing more patients or when we start seeing more patients with coronavirus, what that's going to look like so that they're clued in and they're not surprised.
0: Yeah. You talked about the new bottle of Purell that uh, appeared outside (laughs) your door. So anyone who's been in a grocery store or a Target or a Costco or any of those type stores are seeing incredible shortages, even walls there. So from a medical practice perspective, what are the supplies that you guys need? And are you finding them in short supply?
1: we are definitely finding them in short supply and that's what i've heard from friends across the country that are just trying to get you know things that allow them to keep seeing patients masks um gowns gloves um the the swabs that you use to swab for respiratory pathogens those are all in short supply um soap and those things gosh i've seen online like 50 dollars for a refill of dial soap you know on amazon and things like that so it's really hard for us to get the supplies that we need um and it, and it makes it much more challenging for our um, staff to stay safe when it feels like we have to ration our N95 masks or um, you know, not have the appropriate gowns and everything like that. So that's something that we call our staff call every day to see if our suppliers have more in stock and what can we do to get our hands on some of that. And can we share, there's other medical practices in our same building that we're in. Can we share because we know that they'll repay us when um, we share with them and vice versa so that we can continue to provide good care because they might not be needing as much right now and we're needing more and vice versa and and just kind of, you know, work as colleagues rather than um, just everyone kind of stockpiling, squirreling up their supplies and holding onto them tight.
0: Mm -hmm. So we were talking about instilling that confidence in the staff, but then there's just staffing the the sheer number Mm -hmm. of people that you have there. So there are a couple of different issues here. One is, What if somebody gets infected on your staff? Secondly, um, there are school closings. We're already seeing that, so staff may have to be home with their kids. So what are you doing? What protocols are in place to ensure that you have the right number of people in place to then meet the needs of your patients?
1: To be honest, a lot of that is prayers right now, because <laughs> it's 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 a true issue. And that's what we've been talking about and trying to work through is like, what are we going to do if schools get canceled here and all of our staff with kids have to figure out how to provide child care for them um, for their school aged kids? You know, are we going to be able to have staff members or staff members family um, watch each other's kids or you know, oh, I was jokingly saying there's some there's some um, open office space uh, in the same little office park that we're in. Can we just you know lease that and and open our own little daycare for our right, staff's families? Right. I mean, things like that. There's nothing off the table right now because we just don't know, and it requires a lot more innovation than we've ever had to do to figure out what are we going to do if a staff member gets sick or all of our nurses who sit together get sick. Um, or, uh, you know, it just a provider or multiple providers are ill and can't work, how are we going to accommodate that? And at this point, I don't think that we, we have all of the answers to that. We're mm-hmm. certainly trying to work through, especially the school closure one. Right now, we have spring break for, for in our community for the vast majority of kids. And so um, they're already home. And I don't know if that's going to help with the spread, but we've been getting by, you know, with our staff the way they are, despite a lot of kids being home right now, just with daycare and child care and family members and things like that. But it will be something where I am very confident that we have such good staff that we'll be able to figure that out. And it might be watching each other's kids so somebody can go and pick up a shift. It might be um, opening, you know, a little, impromptu pop-up daycare where people can drop their kids off so that our staff can come into work. I'm very confident that our staff will come together um, as we go through this, and that is something that we, we can't plan all those things, but if you have good staff that you treat well, um, they will go the extra mile for you, and so that gives me confidence that because I know my staff and I know how much they care about our practice and our patients, that we together will find a way to deal with this when those new hurdles that we haven't even anticipated come up.
0: Mm -hmm. Are there steps then that a practice can take to be ready? I mean, obviously, this one is getting us a little blindsided here, but there are different exposures, outbreaks, emergencies that do happen. So Mm -hmm. what protocols do you have or that you would suggest other practices put in place just to be ready? or as ready
1: as they can be. I would say have a group of people from your practice, you know, at each different level. So a physician, providers, the nursing staff, the phones, the schedulers, the administration get together and talk through what this could look like next week, what it could look like the week after, what it could look like the week after, and what things do we need to have in place so that we're not flying by the seat of our pants when these new things come up and new challenges arise. Now you'll probably over plan, but like you said, we're way behind as a country in preparing for something like this. So anything that we can do for this or for whatever next outbreak there is in five, 10, 20 years from now, having those um, things thought through in advance. I would say start with the idea that next week there's gonna be coronavirus patients in your practice and work from there. What is that gonna look like for bringing them into the office? Are you gonna have a special waiting area for them? Are you gonna have them come in a different door? And then who's gonna take care of them? Are you gonna have specific staff that are at lower risk for severe illness care for them? That's something to talk through. And then from there, what happens when our staff member gets sick? What are, how are, What's quarantine gonna look like? I think those would be the first things that I would start with because I think we're on the precipice of those things as our community and around the country is what's it look like when things start to speed up.
0: Yeah, we've been talking about from the staff side. So let's go back to the patient side for just right. a moment. You had talked about your YouTube videos, um, other communication through social media. Just wondering from the patient side, what kind of, what's the communication been like? Have you had an increase in calls, walk-ins, um, comments on your YouTube and other social media pages? What right. has that information been like? And just tell us how you've communicated then and responded to those patients.
1: What we've done, we have definitely seen an uptick in the questions and concerns um, for me as a physician and then just for our office, like how we're going to handle it. Patients are worried that their child is going to get sick or that they're not going to have access to us when their child gets sick or that they're going to come in for something else and pick up coronavirus because they're here. And so those are big fears that we're trying to address. We've put stuff on our website and our social media to share what our office practices are and that it's going to evolve. and that you know, being authentic with your patients and realizing, okay, nobody expected this. No one anticipated this. So just your office isn't prepared, you know, in the business that you do or school is not prepared and we're not as prepared as we could be either. And we're going to keep communicating because we don't know what the next week or month holds for us. And so the way that I think that we prepare patients is by telling them that we will be in contact and we'll be in contact in the way that works best for you. We may have to change your appointments. We may have to do telemedicine visits, but we will keep in contact and we'll give you the resources that you need to know. And it'll be in an algorithm or something that's easy. You know, millennial, like our pa- our parents, uh, of our patients, are, are millenn- a lot of them are millennial or millennial age. They like bullet points. They like the short and sweet, here's what you need to do. If your child is sick, here's what to do to keep your child well. Those are things that we can pass along to patients and then keep them in the loop as things change. We have the ability to text message our patients in mass, and we can do that um, so that we can provide good information as things Evolve. Right now, we don't really have coronavirus in the community, maybe just a couple cases, um, but, but we haven't had the uptick in questions that will certainly come when we start having a lot more cases in the community and it's starting to spread amongst families and amongst schools and everything like that. And so I think, I think we're just trying to get our ducks in a row at this point and make sure our pa- patients are aware that we're getting our ducks in a row. You can count on us as the place to turn for the information that you need as it comes up. And we're going to utilize resources in the community appropriately. We can't send everyone to the ER. We don't want to send everyone to the ER, but we'll, f- we'll figure this out together.
0: Okay. Do you have a link? I mean, you've got these, um, YouTube videos yeah. or, uh, letters or announcements on your webpage. What's a good link right. where we can send other healthcare professionals so they can model that where possible?
1: So our website is linkinpeedsgroup.com and then our um, my my YouTube channel, if you just go to Dr. drbdrbshow slash coronavirus, you'll find the YouTube series right there. And that um, is something that you can share with your own patients um, as well, or just get the information from. So it's drb.show uh, backslash coronavirus.
0: Okay. Thanks for that. Now, do you have any final thoughts and you'd like to share with our audience about the best practices that they can take in keeping themselves and their patients educated and safe at this time? Just something, a, a small summary where we can take some first steps here and help combat
1: this. Everybody knows that handwashing is important, and I think we can not reiterate that enough, that that is the best way to prevent the spread. I think the other message that I really want to communicate is that being the calm source of reason and the source of good information serves you and your patients best. And so trying to communicate in a calm manner that shows that maybe we don't have, we don't know everything, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to be here for you as patients, as staff, as fellow physicians and providers that that we are going to work through this together and we have a team that's going to help. I think that's the biggest message is if we feel like we're together, if we feel like we have each other's backs and know what's going on, that that things will go much more smoothly regardless of how this all plays out. And we have good information from other countries about what we can expect in terms of the disease burden and the um, mortality and everything like that. So we can use that to help guide The choices that we make for our communities and for the individual patients. And I think it's all local, like I said much earlier, is if you can look at what's going on in your community, share that information. If you can develop good local resources and points of contact, that's what's really going to help at the practice level and at the individual patient and physician level to move through this is to know what's going on locally and and turn to local resources. All right, Phil. Well, thanks so much
0: for sharing these ideas. These are very helpful during some very chaotic time. So thanks so much for this.
1: You are welcome. Thank you for helping spread this message, because I think we can much more easily get through this as a community, as a country and world, if if we can just continue to communicate in a calm, reasonable, rational, reassuring manner.
0: That's going to do it for this special episode of the Insights Podcast. To stay up to date on COVID-19 as it relates to healthcare professionals, look for upcoming episodes and be sure to visit the MGMA COVID-19 Action Center at mgma.com/covid. Thanks for listening.
1: Hi, this is Declan McGee,
0: one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com/membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI, but what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions visit mgma.com/analytics and see how ai can revolutionize your finances and operations again visit mgma.com/analytics today